You're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. It's time for the Dave Shaler Show. Okay, my guest this week is Dr. Stephen Hotwood, uh, who is coincidentally the chair of 9-11 Truth in Totnes. Uh, and he's going to be talking to us today about uh, alternative health, basically. Um, I would say that there's a, a great problem between the left and the right in this country, in which the left legitimises the right. The right seems to work us to death and sell us terrible food with terrible additives in and so on. And then when we get run down and ill, we go off to the doctor and the, and the, the left effectively say, look, we'll look after you. Your, your health care is effectively free, or free at point of entry anyway. But in fact, it appears to me this is just uh, putting a constant sticking plaster on the wound. It's not an attempt to try and uh, cure us and help us to, to live healthy lives. Uh, and the reason I got interested uh, personally in alternative medicine was uh, in 1990. I uh, went to have acupuncture uh, for giving up smoking. And I was absolutely amazed by the uh, effect of it the first time I had it. It was almost like taking some kind of uh, mind-expanding drug. It was... Um, so effective basically uh, and this is what I say about all things I mean I don't really have to understand how these things work but if I know they work I, I will do them That's, uh, that was that would be the test of a rationalist of somebody who would actually test something rather than uh, just uh, ignoring it um, but of course the great problem uh, with the issue of health is that they try to make us convinced that we've got everything um, because the pharmaceuticals industry uh, is one of the planks of the new world order and perhaps the biggest plank of the new world order in the sense that they can um, obviously change um, the way we relate to the world by changing our bodies, changing our minds, and effectively, therefore, uh, changing our spiritual attitudes and so on. Uh, so, in many ways, it is the the most saying the most dangerous part uh, of the new world order. Uh, but to just talk about how effective um, alternative medicine can be, uh, we've got Dr. Stephen Hopwood here. Hello, Stephen. Hello. Good evening. Hi, so let's just talk a little bit about this, um, about how you first got into this. You're actually a qualified uh, medical doctor, you went to medical school and got a qualification and you were a GP. Yeah? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, I did all the conventional qualifications and uh, working as a hospital doctor for a couple of years and a GP on the NHS. And how did you get into the alternative stuff? Well, while I was um, at university, I came across somebody, a um, fellow student who had been an acupuncturist prior to coming to medical school and... Um, he was uh, fed up of uh, banging his head against the brick wall of the medical establishment and um, thought, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And so applied to medical school and to his surprise, he got in. And um, and then he was working on the inside. So uh, I, I got to understand a lot more about Chinese medicine through my friendship with him and decided to take a year's leave of absence from medical school and um, go and spend three months uh, studying acupuncture in, in Peking in 1983. So um, that was uh, very interesting. I was uh, 22 at the time and uh, travelled around China and um, did this um, this course in, in Peking, which was uh, highly informative and um, set me on the road. In fact, I very nearly didn't come back to complete my medical degree. I was so um, inspired by Chinese medicine and Tai Chi and Buddhism and the whole um, Eastern culture that uh, uh, I couldn't quite bring myself to return to medical school. but. Uh, but I was sort of old enough and wise enough to realise that I was uh, still young and not very wise, so I decided that a medical degree would uh, be w worthwhile obtaining if I was serious about committing my life to healing. So uh, I went back and finished my medical degree and then uh, went on further to study acupuncture 
at the British College in London and um, and studied uh, Chinese herbs um, over the last 15 years. So uh, when you went back, I mean, presumably you did all the stuff, you went to, you, you did a time in the hospital, and then you were a GP, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's what you do, yeah, a couple of years in hospitals and then GP rotation. And from your experience of working there, I mean, what would you say is the main kind of drawback of, of conventional medicine, of Western medicine? Well, they don't seem to have uh, any idea of a tonic. Uh, they don't. Uh, so something that you take in order to support your body's capacity uh, to heal itself. Um, that seems, um, you know, to be uh, almost a joke um, within the Western medical system that you should have uh, have such a thing. Um, all the chemicals that they prescribe for people um, are um, what I call antis, antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, anti-hypertensives. They're highly refined chemical substances that uh, do a specific job, either blocking a receptor or or, uh, or whatever the, the particular function is of, of the chemical, which sort of artifici artificially um, suppresses uh, the body's um, um, the symptoms, um, but actually it goes uh, nowhere at all to uh, supporting the body's capacity to return itself to health. Um, it actually creates a reliance and a dependence on the medication to continually suppress the symptoms because of course when you stop taking the medication the symptoms return but but then uh, you're also worse off because you've uh, undergone the uh, the uh, detrimental effects of the toxic chemical for the duration that you've taken them so you've ended up with uh, two problems rather than one and uh, and certainly no nearer solution whereas um, Chinese medicine really does seem to have a a much greater depth and breadth of understanding of, of the workings of the human physiology and is able to, um, to give both tonics and, and things to uh, clear excesses so, um, and, uh, so thereby um, achieve balance in, in the system and to the point that uh, people's conditions can be treated uh, and then uh, they, they achieve a balance in health and then they're no longer required to have ongoing treatment but the solution has actually been uh, effectively cured. So what was really saying with Western medicine is Western medicine is actually driven in many ways by the pharmaceutical corporations um, and it's not in their interest actually to cure people because once people are cured of course they don't have to buy their products it's actually in their interest to create a product as you say that's almost yeah. like a sticking plastic that you've got to keep taking and keep taking and keep taking but yeah. uh, these products are not without drawbacks that's what people don't understand isn't absolutely it? Uh, no they're, they're, they're often very toxic and and um, long-term use of uh, western medication um you know is very detrimental to the body and well is uh, and uh, Western medical treatment is actually the fifth most common cause of death, iatrogenic death. Uh, uh, death as a direct result of medical treatment or intervention is the fifth most common cause of death in this country. And uh, yeah, accumulated use of um, you know, even analgesics and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories can cause um, severe detriment to the health in terms of the function of the stomach and the kidneys and and all, all manner of other um, toxicities that arise. So, no, it's not, not without its uh, detrimental effects, certainly. Because we know as well about all these things that are marketed to us as, as miracle drugs like Prozac and Siroxat, and they're there to tell us that they're to cope with our depression, our um, stress with modern-day life. Um, but they're extremely dangerous, aren't they? Well, they do. They, they do. So, you know, they are mood... Yeah, um, drugs like that. What they do is they they somehow um, suppress uh, and condense your consciousness. So um, 
that you don't feel the highs of elation and excitement and the and the lows of, of depression and uh, and difficulty you just get um, squashed into a narrow band of, of numbness um, which on one level uh, potentially facilitates you sort of coping with you know day to day life and survival but um, is, is by no So th these chemicals, they, they suppress you into this narrow band of consciousness which in, you know, facilitates survival but isn't a way of actually integrating the, the, the depth of emotional experience that's arising and Chinese medicine uh, works in a different way. It actually doesn't um, aim to um, diminish um, people's emotional responsiveness. Um, it actually uh, facilitates enhancement of that. So, um, But what it does is it enables people to um, contain their experience so that, um, that they maintain their reference point and um, so there's an opportunity for actually processing the depression or the anxiety that's, that's arising so um, that the, the emotions can actually move through the body and, and come to some form of uh, constructive completion. So it's kind of where dealing with these things head on rather than trying to suppress them, is that right? Absolutely, yeah. And, and so that the, um, the lessons that can be learnt from from the risings of emo emotions, you know, can be integrated into the person as a whole and not seen as a problem. But you know, actually, they're they're messengers. They're bringing information from the depths of your unconscious keys to, you know, to open the door to the next stage in your in your evolution. And um, the, the, the just suppression of these things um, is actually um, just compounding the issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I find personally these things, I, I have personally gone to the doctor. I don't like going to the doctor, but I do. And when I go there, I, I mean, I've got a problem with my neck and I went to see him. The doctor tells me that, you know, name of the muscle in the neck and then gives me a prescription for a few paracetamol. Mm -hmm. But I say to you, I need to go and see a chiropractor. But of course, they won't uh, send you to alternative practitioners on the national health in this country. Is that right? No, um, uh, there's a small creeping of alternative medicine into, into the NHS, but... Uh, by and large, not. And and th th what they say, and what they've always been uh, saying, is that is that of course um, acupuncture and homeopathy and chiropractic and osteopathy and all of these things don't have any um, proper scientific basis, and they haven't been subjected to double-blind clinical trials, and therefore we don't really know their true efficacy, and and uh, you know therefore they can't be trusted, and therefore they they can't be used. But then of course you have to think, well, you know, I went to China in 1983. Was that 25 years ago or something? And and uh, Chinese medicine, all of these things have been around, you know, in this country and throughout the West for, you know, a clear quarter of a decade. And there's been no movement to fully investigate the, the nature of these medicines, despite their rise in popularity and, and, their, and their obvious sort of empirical efficacy there. Um, yeah, so what you're essentially saying is the reason we don't have the, the scientific data to prove this is people just haven't done the scientific tests. Well, who, who is the people? I mean, who runs scientific tests? It's, it's once again the multinational pharmaceutical corporations. They obviously um, fund um, investment in, in terms of... Uh, and, and the government, and neither of these two you know, hugely rich and powerful bodies have, have, have given any of these medicines the true time of day. And... and um, we could save billions, couldn't we? Literally billions by employing alternative um, methods of health compared to the Ab Absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a, you could get people, you could build a healthy nation, you know, that wouldn't didn't require these emergency um, symptomatic treatments um, quite, quite, quite easily. All, all the information is there, um, but it needs to be adopted from a, from a top-down policy, and, it, and it's clear that... Um, the top of the pile is, is the pharmaceutical industry, and then then comes the government, and then comes the NHS, and then 
you know, last of all um, comes the interests of the people. And um, you know, we uh, until the government um, frees itself from the domination of the corporations um, and starts to act in the best interests of the people rather than in the best interests of themselves, then uh, you know, then we'll have a chance. But until then, uh, you know, it's a big uphill struggle. I, mean, I take a very cynical view of the NHS. I mean, uh, a lot of lefties hold it as a kind of apogee of uh, the achievement of the kind of the, the society that looks after its citizens and so on. Um, but I'm actually very cynical about the timing of the NHS. The NHS was set up um, after the Second World War. And as I point out to people, this was a point when Britain had to give away an empire. So they had a lot of young men who'd gone to public schools as administrators to administrate an empire, but therefore had no empire to actually administer. So I think they set up things like the NHS to create admin posts for these people to do. If they hadn't been a national health service, I don't know what the hell these people would have done. So I don't think these things are the, the pinnacle of socialist achievement at all. I think it's much more cynical than that. And the NHS has always been run by uh, largely middle class people um, and so on. So, you know, I don't, I don't go for that argument at all. And I think, um, you know, this is part of the... Um, a good example, in fact, of where the left legitimises the right by, by in fact, um, giving us free healthcare. We didn't have free healthcare. I'm sure people would revolt much more um, about medicine and so on if they were actually paying for stuff themselves. They're going to pay to see a doctor all the time. Um, I'm sure that they would, they would look at alternative methods of, of healing themselves and have less faith um, in Western medicine, basically. Mm. But let's, let's just talk about uh, some of the more in-depth principles of, of Chinese medicine. I mean, how exactly does it does it work? I mean, when you say as well, so I mean, I, I'm a great fan of believing that, in fact, although there aren't actual, you know, clinical double-blind tests in these things, the fact that something has existed for thousands of years, mm. to me, is the test of it. Um, Absolutely. You know, it, they wouldn't, it wouldn't, they wouldn't get away with it if it didn't work. You know, over thousands of years, you'd think there'd be enough people who stand up and say, well, this just isn't working, I'm sorry, it's just useless. And that's not the case, it's exactly opposite. People who have um, alternative treatments, and I can testify this myself, is that, you know, you do feel, um, you know, holistically better afterwards. You feel much, uh, your outlook on life is brighter, uh, you've got more energy, um, you're more uh, able to cope with the, the kind of uh, slings and arrows of, of, of fortune and so on. Um, so what is the basis of Chinese medicine? How does it work? Um, how, do we un how do we understand it works? Well, um, we don't, <laughs> don't really know. It's, it's, uh, it's a bit like uh, driving a car, really. I can drive my car and I can drive it well. I can make it go where I need it to go, but I'm not really quite sure what's going on under the bonnet. And it's a bit like that with Chinese medicine. Uh, there's a lot of complex rules um, for acupuncture and Chinese herbs, and if you follow the rules, then uh, and use the points that the rules dictate and prescribe the herbs that the rules dictate, then people tend to get better. Right. Uh, do we know where these? I mean, you say because it, it's called traditional Chinese medicine. Do we have any idea where this stuff comes from originally? Well, there are there are you know two theories basically. The one that you know once upon a time somebody themselves in a certain place and their headache miraculously went away and they thought oh well that you know obviously must be some correlation and then through a system of trial and error over the over the hundreds of years um, the, the system of acupuncture evolved but um, when I went to China the and spoke with the lecturers there they, they said well no this this clearly is absolutely impossible the system is far too complex um, for it to have been uh, put together in this in this sort of way and and they said, actually, uh, the thousands of years ago, people used to spend a lot more time in meditation, the monks doing Tai Chi and, and their Taoist practices, and, and they got to a, a very high state of uh, evolution where they could see and, and feel and, and work with the energy and the meridians uh, directly in the body. Um, but then, you know, 
Well, that, that sounds like yeah. to me. I mean, I would, wouldn't surprise me, for example, if somebody had said acupuncture was given to us by the gods because yeah. they seem to have given us just about everything else. And yeah. you're obviously right. I mean, trial and error doesn't seem to um, explain something like that. And, of course, anybody who's into meditational spirituality will realise that the seven uh, chakras, for example, are yeah. a big part of that. And that's yeah. all to do with um, your spiritual health and your physical health as well. Yeah. So... Um, so, in terms of, uh, of acupuncture, I mean, obviously, we are sticking needles in people. I saw a fascinating program about this, though, um, where they were looking at some of the perhaps more scientific, um, sort of objective experiments to try and prove yeah. how it worked. And uh, what I found really fascinating in China is you'd have people go in for, for Western style um, surgery, but they wouldn't be using anesthetics, they'd mm. be using needles. Yeah. So, I suppose that gives you some idea of the, the, the power of acupuncture. Absolutely, no, you, you, you can, and it is, it is used in place of general anaesthetic, and, um, you know, which, is, which is quite miraculous, really. And again, how does that work? I mean, I had this experience again myself I, when I, I broke my ankle and I went to see an acupuncturist because my ankle was just painful all the time. And again, I went there, and, and this isn't because people always say, oh, it's just psychosomatic, but I mean, I didn't go there in a the sense of belief. I went there more in a kind of idea, well, this hurts, nothing else is working, I don't like taking too many painkillers just perhaps this might work. Not mm. this is going to work, perhaps sure. it might work. And literally, this woman stuck about five pins around my ankle. The pain shut off, and the pain never really came back again. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, do we understand how that works? Well, again, yes and no. Um, from a Chinese point of view, pain is uh, as a result of what they call qi, or energy, and blood stagnation. And so qi, we're talking about the life force, yeah? Yeah, qi, uh, energy, yeah, definitely, life force, energy. Um, and when life force energy or blood stagnates, then, then pain arises. And so the principle is uh, these acupuncture meridians, they have key points on them. So if you needle exactly the right point, it's like a gate on a lock and you can open up the flow of energy and blood down that meridian. And, and so it's no longer stagnant. So you're no longer in pain and the pain arises from you know, shock or trauma or, or disease or inflammation or from a, from a variety of causes. But uh, opening up the flow of qi through the through the constricted area, um, you know, it heals the pain, basically. And we can use acupuncture for a variety of things, really, can't we? I mean, well, pain relief or management is uh, one of the most you know, commonly accepted uh, reasons for using acupuncture. That's being increasingly integrated into the NHS and, and is being used uh, in some pain clinics and uh, maternity suites and various places like that. Um, but also um, it works very well for treating systemic um, sort of internal organ diseases um, yeah from from lung respiratory diseases asthma to um, to people with digestive problems to um, premenstrual tension and hormone and hot, hot, hot flushes and there's a whole, whole variety most things really um, mild to moderate anxiety and depression immune system deficiency all of these things are very well treated by acupuncture and, and Chinese herbs high blood pressure and um, with these things, are we, are we talking about a course of acupuncture, or would just you know one or two sessions do it? Well, if you've got uh, pain from a bad back or a broken ankle or something, sometimes one or two sessions um, c you know can be enough, and and that you know you're up and away and 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 um, doing something more interesting. Um, but sometimes, if uh, you know you've, you've got an ME, for example, with a with a significantly diminished immune system, then a course of acupuncture can certainly. Uh, boost you up and and um, get you much more functional. Um, but you know, I certainly see people with those sorts of conditions uh, on a monthly basis often. And um, to have a, a regular treatment seems to rebalance and de-stress the body and and uh, support the immune system and uh, keep people on the road. So uh, yeah, sometimes 
few treatments or sometimes ongoing treatment even for life. Um, but again, that's traditionally what uh, in the way in which acupuncture was used in China, not just for the treatment of symptomatic disease, but actually people were, tr were treated on a regular basis when they were well in order to maintain that so they could actually maximize their health in terms of vitality and their immunity rather than just uh, have treatment once the body was beginning to collapse. So you'd recommend um, anybody going to an acupuncturist because I think sometimes people are actually in a sense unwell but they don't actually realize they're unwell and that the, the, this manifests itself as, as you know anger and frustration in life and so on and I believe that's because at some level their, their body's not functioning properly and yeah. um, so it would be fair to say that anybody should perhaps go along and have some acupuncture and, and, and that could do something to improve them yeah absolutely and, and you know be surprised how you know much more healthy you know you can find yourself feeling even though you you might not have have any specific patterns of, of disease and um, yeah to have a monthly treatment from acupuncture and take the herbs which are relatively inexpensive um, can uh, significantly prevent long-term illness and you're better off going while you're healthy and readjusting your minor imbalances and keeping yourself in an optimum state uh, than you are uh, leaving it too late basically all right, and then just sort of moving on to the, the herbal stuff. I mean, I, again, I just want to, you know, I'm going to say this because, again, it's works. I've taken um, some of the um, herbal sleeping tablets that you've given me, and I have tried lots of things for sleeping over the years. So I've had problems with sleeping, and, uh, and in the run-up to my trial, I was having, obviously, enormous problems with sleeping, and I was given um, Zopiclone. And I started off on 3.5 milligrams of Zopiclone, and, and by the time the trial came... I was taking I was taking two of the, of the double strength ones, so I was taking 15 milligrams of Zopiclone. And yes, okay, it gets you to sleep, it knocks you out, and you wake up eight hours later. But I wouldn't say you feel refreshed as if you had a good night's sleep. Whereas these herbs I took, I don't even know what they were, but, but you know, and again, I mean, yeah. you know, I don't think it's psychosomatic because I've taken other herbs that you can buy in the chemist and so on that haven't worked. And these were just absolutely brilliant because not only did you get a night's sleep, you felt like you'd had a night's sleep as well, a proper refreshing sleep. Um, so that, that to me again is, is, is you know, my personal point of view that, that proves to me these things work um, but what are, the, what are the principles behind sort of Chinese herbs and Chinese medicine the principles of the because it's to do with things like the food types you eat and things like that yeah yeah well there's lots of ways of um, approaching it but uh, the f yeah five elements is one way of looking at things uh, you, and that the, the the five elements, uh, which is uh, also represent the, the five organs, so that the first element is uh, is the kidney, which is water, and that uh, correlates with uh, winter. And then the next element on the cycle is uh, the liver, which is wood, and correlates with the spring. And then you go around the five element cycle. The next element is the heart, which is summer and fire. And then the fourth element is uh, the spleen, uh, which is um, the harvest uh, or Indian summer. And then uh, the, the final element is, is the lungs, which is uh, which is uh, autumn, and then you're back round to, to winter and the, and the kidney again. So they they view the organs uh, functioning in a in a cycle and feeding energy from one organ to the other. And then if one organ is also um, in excess, for example, the liver can become in excess, and that can can uh, have a detrimental effect on other organs uh, across and round the uh, the five element cycle. What do you actually mean by the liver is in excess? I mean, how, how, that would, be, how would that be caused? Well, um, the, the, each of the organs um, ha has an emotional correlation. So the, the kidneys is, is, is fear and the, and the liver is um, depression and frustration and anger. 
the heart is anxiety, uh, the spleen is worry, and, and, and the emotion associated with the lungs is grief. So uh, the liver um, is the major organ of detoxification, um, and, uh, but it also rules what's called the free and easy and harmonious flow of qi and blood and emotions. So the liver should uh, flow smoothly like a big broad river. Um, but if the liver becomes toxic through um, through becoming dehydrated or, or or through through taking too many toxic foods or chemicals or or cigarettes or alcohol, um, then that uh, toxification um, slows the, uh, the the sort of um, the, the the cleansing effect of the liver and the liver begins to clog up and then you get to get emotionally clogged as well so that the emotions become more staccato rather than smooth so you when the, when the energy is blocked um, then you feel depressed and frustrated and then when the when the energy uh, moves through that block blockage then you can get angry and frustrated so that, so the liver's not flowing smoothly when it's when it's toxic what I find fascinating here as well is the fact that obviously we talk about somebody who is who's angry being full of bile, which obviously comes from the liver. And this seems to indicate that in the past we seem to have a better understanding in the West of, of some of these functions. I mean, I always point out when I used to do um, Shakespearean plays and things, the liver in those plays was always called the, the centre of the emotions. And, you know, if, if you heated your liver yeah. with drinking, your emotions would be unbalanced. And, yeah. and what is quite peculiar, of course, is that within Western medicine we've lost all of that. We've, yeah. just, and we've just lost all that kind of background stuff. We now understand what the liver does. As a, as a kind of biomechanical device, if you like, but we yeah. don't seem to understand any of the stuff uh, behind it, really. No. Um, but what I find really fascinating about this Chinese stuff as well was the kind of seasonal food thing as well that tied in with all the stuff you were talking about, the heats and so on. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, um, yeah, I mean, different... There's a, you have the five-element theory of, of categorising information, and um, then you've also got the yin and yang uh, way of categorising information. So... Um, so for people who don't know, can you just explain? Well, yes, the, the, the yin is the female principle, um, which is um, to do with, with, with the dark, and, and the yang is the male principle that's, that's to do uh, with the light. Um, and uh, when, when for, for example, uh, uh, around, um, around the age of 50, women go into menopause, so naturally what happens then is that their yin energy goes into decline, so they become yin deficient. Um, and then uh, you get a relative excess of yang energy. So this this yang energy uh, can manifest in uh, hot flushes. Um, so that's that's yang energy rising, heat rising. So that gives all rise to the dry symptoms that that occur around menopause. And uh, the increased yang energy rising can also rise up and cause symptoms like insomnia and and headaches and um, and uh, uh, but you also get uh, because the, the yin is uh, time of day is the, is the night and the yang time of day is the day. Uh, then when you're yin deficient, you get um, more yin deficient symptoms at the yin time of day. So from a Chinese point of view, that accounts for the fact why the majority of hot flushes occur at night. Um, but in that situation, uh, there are various foods that um, nourish the yin um, energy and cool the yang. So you, you can. Uh, um, you, you can adjust your diet um, according to various principles in order to uh, support the um, the rebalancing of the, of the body's physiology. Can you just give us an example about what sort of how you would perhaps prescribe diets to people who had, say, a, a yin or a yang deficiency or something. Um, well, if you've got a, a yang excess, then you're going to obviously 
want to uh, want to have uh, foods that are, that are cooling, but uh, one of the most important things is to, is to avoid foods that are, that are heating, so coffee and alcohol and hot, spicy, greasy, fatty, oily, fried foods, all of those things will increase the ang energy rising, so you certainly want to avoid using those. And, and obviously yeah, eat, eat more, more cooling foods, more salads, more vegetables, and, um, and that sort of thing. And there's a kind of seasonal principle, that's because we always hear, you know, when people talk about organic food and so on, we always, we, you know, a lot of people say we should eat seasonal food. We shouldn't be obviously shipping this food from halfway around the world. And the reason we should eat seasonal food is our bodies are more attuned to yeah. eating food at a certain time of year. Yeah? Well, I mean, if if we were forced into eating seasonal food, then we would grow a, a much wider variety of foods that, you know, at the time of year um, that we were able to grow them, and and, and then you would, uh, you know, form a whole new dietary regime based on that uh, you know which is what sort of used to happen in ancient China and, and obviously in olden times but now transports uh, the way it is uh, the whole sort of growing and, and and sort of local cultural patterns have changed really so it's uh, you know it would involve a huge uh, shift in uh, farming policy uh, to adopt that in practice yeah Right, but that, that is part of it, isn't it, the, the food thing? Yeah, it, yeah it, it's part. It's definitely part of it. But you, you know, a lot of these things, you can adjust. Um, you know, w with Chinese herbs and acupuncture, and I mean, it's not absolutely vital to eat local foods in season. You know, uh, and that's the only way to maintain your health. So it's uh, obviously slightly preferable, but it's it's not absolutely imperative. But uh, we we talk obviously. I mean, obviously, when people people should go and have a full consultation about Chinese medicine and the sort of things they need and so on. I mean, yeah. that's what you'd recommend to anybody. But yeah. outside that, I mean, um, just could you just talk a bit of some of the more popular herbs you prescribe and, and what you prescribe them for? Yes, uh, there's a, there's a very, uh, women bleed on a monthly basis and, uh, uh, and generally run a lower haemoglobin than men. And so a lot of women suffer from uh, what the Chinese call blood deficiency. Uh, which can manifest in, in poor circulation. A lot of women get cold hands and cold feet and, and uh, feel the cold very easily, or, you know, although they rarely keep themselves warm with their clothes. I mean, that, that compounds the problem. <laughs> uh, uh, always keeping their lower backs and their bellies exposed to the wind. Uh, That's a different subject. Well, there's another the Chinese physician with a complete heart attack trying to <laughs> keep this poor girl's kidney yang energy up and uh, walking around with the wind blowing around the kidneys all day. Do you like that kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, right in the appropriate circumstances. Yeah. So you have two minds, one is a man and one is a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is probably true. Um, and so what, what particular herb do you use for that? that well, uh, women's precious pill uh, is a, uh, it's called Barzen 1, uh, is, a, uh, is a very excellent blood tonic. It's not actually warming, so, uh, uh, but it just nourishes the blood, which will then in, in turn facilitate uh, increased circulation. And you could pretty much give uh, bars in one to, to anybody, and um, and particularly women, um, and uh, she would find that that would in increase her vitality and uh, helps stabilise her, her her menstrual cycle. And the the other um, prescription is, is is something called Chiao uh, Yao One, which is called a free and easy wanderer, and this is um, some herbs that smooth the liver function out, um, so that it's. Uh, that free and easy and harmonious flow of energy and blood and emotions. Um, uh, so, so when the liver's running smoothly, so that life runs smoothly, and you, that's a 
um, most common uh, pattern for premenstrual tension in women is, is blood deficiency and then uh, liver blood stagnation uh, leading to liver congestion. And so uh, if you nourish the blood and, and, and move the stagnant liver chi, then uh, a majority of women feel significantly better um, you know, as do their husbands that get less of a monthly earful. Well, indeed, yes, yeah, yes. There's advantages <laughs> on all sides of these things. Yeah. Is that the stuff where you gave me those little black balls? Uh, yeah, I gave you some little black balls, but they, they were uh, for a bit more for clearing the heat from the liver and, and, a, and a bit of a yin tonic. Right, what are they then? Uh, well, uh, you get hot quite easily, Yeah. Uh, so then you need to nourish the yin to cool the yang. But then there's another prescription called, I think, Long Dan Qigan one, which is a... Uh, it's more uh, strongly for clearing liver heat. The Xiaoya one is for nourishing liver blood and balancing out stagnation. So it's a sort of milder formula in a sense, but it's more more generally applicable. But yours was a, 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 a stronger cooling formula, which you, you wouldn't blindly prescribe to anybody. Right, I found it very useful, I've got to say, and it did wonders actually, strange enough, the bags under my eyes. Would that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the, 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 when, the, when the kidneys are exhausted, uh, you tend to get dark lines and bags under the eyes and um, and, the li and the liver is fed um, by the kidney energy so if the kidney energy is just deficient then the, the liver energy becomes subsequently deficient so uh, yeah if you tonify the kidneys and cool the liver um, then yeah also the eyes and the liver are paired organs so as the liver function improves uh, uh, the eyes shine more brightly and, um, and uh, as the kidneys improve the bags under the eyes uh, tend to disappear a little bit. I haven't gone totally, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know, it'll also help you sleep more deeply and relax more easily, and and, and, uh, and then the adrenals are kicking off uh, less regularly, and uh, and then that's that's generally better for your health. And what about the, um, the sleeping tablets? Oh, God, I, just, I find those absolutely un unbelievable. They're like nothing I've, I've ever taken before. Uh, and they work so effectively. Shuan Ren, they're called. That's uh, mainly composed of zizyphysis seed. Um, but what it does is it uh, it cools the heart blood and calms the shen. Um, so they work relatively symptomatically, as you've experienced. You take them, and an hour later, you, you know, you feel sleepy, and um, just the mind seems to calm, and and, and off you nod. Um, but the advantage of something like that is that they, uh, the herbs are actually addressing the reality of the underlying cause of your insomnia. So the more you take them, the more your heart blood will be cooled and, and the more your uh, shen, your spirit, will be calmed. And so um, unlike Western medication where the more you take the medication, the more you need and, the, and actually the worse you get, uh, with Chinese medication often the more you take uh, the, the better you get and the less likely you are to, to need the medication in, in the long term because uh, once the heart blood is cooled and the shen is calmed and, and um, the person's spirit is more integrated back into their body then they, then they don't, uh, don't have the need for the medication because they're sleeping quite well naturally so um, you know, this is the way in which, which Chinese medicines you know, appears to work and appears to work very well it, it actually does um, often a little bit more slowly, perhaps, than Western medicine, because um, you know you're dealing with organic processes. It's, it's often used ex example of a plant that's uh, not very well. It might need repotting and 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 putting in, in a different place in the room and, and watering and pruning and, and fertilizing and all the rest of it. But then you've you know once you've created the conditions for the return to health, you still have to just wait patiently while the plant grows better. It doesn't sort of instantaneously overnight sort of start producing flowers. It does 
take some time, but you know it's appropriate that these processes take time. Um, but um, the, the advantage is that uh, once the time has been taken and the medication has been been taken, then then health is restored uh, to the point that you're no longer dependent on on your medication or or, or your treatment by and large. Um, you know, which is uh, obviously an indication that. Um, you know, you, you've moved positively in the right direction, um, and we, we, with better medication, you, you, unfortunately, you see the opposite. Um, you know, the more medication people take, the more um, you know, medication they need to take in order to counteract the side effects of the first medication that they've taken. The general toxic load increases, and other problems start to occur, and and you get sort of multiple pharmacological uh, prescriptions, and um, you know, you, you just get to watch people dwindling before your eyes it's um it's, it's not good news really and i think a lot of problem with these things as well is that um and i know certainly i know people who've had mental problems and taken the various things they give them for for, for you know for things like schizophrenia and things like that and it strikes me that a lot of these things are in some ways causing the problems yeah um and you cannot be free of these well, you know, they, they, and, and until you're free of these things, in a sense, they are keeping you in the lower vibration, so you can't yeah. actually spiritually activate. No, I think I think this is true. Yeah, it, it really does squash and condense and suppress um, the natural expansion of consciousness. Um, but you know, it does seem to be um, that um, that is their motivation. Really, uh, they certainly, um, if people start to really wake up and be very healthy and and you know, start to use their minds and their intuitions constructively then, um, you know, before long people are going to wake up to the reality of what's going on on this planet and uh, the more people that do that, uh, the less likely it is that they can continue with these suppressive ways. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that's where we are now with all of these things because, I mean, presumably all these herbs are pretty cheap, aren't they, as well? They are, they're really very, very inexpensive. So, you, you know, you can take a very full dose of Chinese herbs for possibly about 15 pounds a month so it's, you know you're talking 50 pence a day um, in, in order to support and maintain your health and and uh, yeah it's very cheap really no wonder the pharmaceutical companies don't want us to, to know about these things because obviously their stuff is proprietary it's patented uh, so they can what they sell it the price they like can't they it's a monopoly market yeah and well and they even get together heard on the news the other day five large pharmaceutical companies operating a drug cartel that were fixing NHS drug prices um, to the estimated cost of 150 million I heard very briefly yeah, that wouldn't surprise me no, the slightest. Has a very quick news item on Radio 4 and then on to something banal and <laughs> um, yeah it's, uh, it's it's really quite shocking that uh, you know, they didn't close down these five. I've really wrapped them on the knuckles and then they'll get, and don't get caught again. I mean. That's right, yes, they <laughs> don't get caught, basically. <laughs> and I think, you know, we are in this situation where people are looking um, for alternatives. Because in a sense, it's actually, it's it, you know, the world that we live in is so unnatural. It's so different from the world that our forebears have lived in. You know, it's hardly surprising that people are going down with these, these sort of strange symptoms. I mean, the increase, for example, in these kind of... Um, Either allergies or or um, reactions um, that are the result of uh, the body not being able to uh, be tested in terms of um, antibodies and so on. We're seeing a lot more of that, aren't we? Yes, uh, and yeah, it's difficult to know uh, why this is arising, but it's certainly an indication that um, people are under a lot more stress or taking a lot more toxicity into their diet or 
that are affected by um, chemicals in the atmosphere or the external environment, but uh, there's a certainly a rise in um, autoimmune disease where, where people's immune systems are starting to break down, not, not clearly differentiating between self and other, and beginning to attack self, and, and that's, uh, that's what seems to happen at the basis of cancer, which is obviously on the, on the significant increase. And what about, I mean, how would, for example, Chinese medicine deal with something like cancer? Well, um, it depends uh, where the cancer is and, and what's going on. You, you, you would always uh, look at the traditional Chinese diagnostic um, criteria and treat the person as a whole and um, aim to bring the person's uh, health and organ systems back into balance. Um, so, uh, on the one hand, you'd look at the specific symptoms, but also you know, treat the person as a whole. But there are spe specific uh, Chinese anti-cancer drugs. And, um, and do you take these before or as after you've got the cancer? Can you take these and can it effectively relieve the symptoms of cancer, or actually relieve the cancer itself? Well, it depends so uh, which, which sort of cancer you're dealing with, really. Um, you know, some of them are very aggressive, and, um, you know, I would probably recommend um, chemotherapy but some other other cancers uh, you know you can uh, you can you can, like leukemias and things like that you you can uh, support the body's immune system and and diminish the necessity to to take uh, take chemotherapy and, and these more more severe forms of treatment I certainly know that I've got an Iranian friend for example and he's he I mean he says to me he says oh, he's blind we should just take take garlic every day and he reckons that uh, cancer is virtually unheard of in Iran because wow. people eat a healthy diet. Yeah. So you know that would you, you, you th I mean is that the same thing in China because people are, uh, are living this um, different lifestyle and well, different medicine. Is I think yeah, people used to live a, a healthy lifestyle in China. I'm not quite sure the state of the place these days. Well, I suppose it's changing now. It's becoming more and more westernised. It, it, well, and, and uh, the communist government seemed very repressive, really. So. Yes, that's true. But, uh, but I mean, was that the case in the past? That, that, I mean, I certainly know in Western society in the past there seems to be less incidence of things like cancer and yeah, heart disease and so yeah. on. But I think, you know, we've found that um, there's a huge increase in breast cancer and uh, a lot of these breast cancers are found to be oestrogen dependent and the medicine that's often given in these cases is a drug called tamoxifen, which is an anti-oestrogen drug. Um, but, of course, they don't seem to make any correlation uh, between the fact that um, you know, women are taking the contraceptive pill that have got oestrogen and people are taking HRT and um, they're um, giving hormones to, to cattle um, that uh, find their way into milk and dairy products and, and um, you know, all these hormones are finding their way into people's uh, bloodstreams and, 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 and all these ca cancers are found to be hormone dependent and yet they don't <laughs> I just don't understand how they don't seem to make the link really well I think they probably do but you know the British farming industry is very powerful and of course um, you know they can make more profits by uh, feeding their animals with uh, hormones than they can mm -hmm. actually feeding them with normal food of course yeah well I had a patient um, come to see me and she was actually a breast surgeon from from Plymouth and um, I asked her this very good question you know why she thought that, you know there was an increase in and she said that um, she would never take uh, inorganic dairy products she would only ever take organic and uh, dairy products uh, and because of this very reason she she thinks that the hormones that are given to the, to the cattle find their way into the milk and um, you know decades of that and uh, you've got you've got breast cancer basically yeah, I mean, I, I say that as well to everybody, is just you know, eat organic food. I mean, clearly, 
it tastes better clearly it's better for you you feel a certain resonance when you you have organic food that you don't get from food that's been through this this processing or been unnaturally produced yeah. and I, I think you know that's, that's got to be the step that we've got to make they've got to pay a bit more towards organic food i mean it's the biggest con of all time that you have to pay a premium for what is effectively normal food yeah. without the additives uh, and as somebody pointed out, you know, when they first put additives in food, they told us it would cost a bit more, but it would preserve longer, so it would be all be fine. Now they're saying they've got to take the additives out, it's going to cost a bit more. So it's another con, con trick of capitalism, basically. Uh, but just to finish off, is there any, um, are there any kind of books or websites you'd recommend for people who want to read a bit more about uh, this kind of stuff? Um, John and Angela Hicks, they've, they've, they've written a couple of books on acupuncture and Chinese medicine. Uh, they're, they're probably worth checking out as a as beginner's, beginner's guide. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just just recommend that that people. Um, well, I think one of the best ways is take out some health insurance and then uh, and then uh, and then use your insurance to go and see some people that you, that can prove to be quite cost effective. That's right. You told me about it. You? you you can get extra. You can get sort of relatively or much cheaper treatments if you take out a kind of regular uh, health insurance plan. Yeah, it's, it seems it seems to work uh, surprisingly well. Really, I'm not one normally for advertising um, insurance companies, but. Uh, um, some of these health schemes that allow for the treatment of acupuncture and osteopathy and chiropractic and homeopathy, and uh, you pay your monthly premium, and, and then you can you can find yourself having regular treatments uh, at um, at less cost, basically. So uh, that's a very good way to proceed. Also, once you're paying out on a monthly basis, then it inspires you to go and and get your treatment and claim it back, and you can get yourself into a regular rhythm of having having treatment and. Um, and getting that support really, and, and I think we all need that support in one form or another, and, and um, it doesn't need to be that often, but just intermittently um, to see an acupuncturist uh, or a herbalist or, or whatever, and, and it, it could be a significant uh, input in, in, into your health and, and, and to your life. We're not talking about a lot here for this insurance, are we? Thirty pound a month or something. Yeah, yeah and I'd say anybody that's got to be worth it, surely. Yeah. I mean, um, but just because the savings in future, I mean, even if you are in the NHS and so on. Quite often you have to wait to be able to see a doctor or wait to be able to go to a hospital, and yeah. so that's not ideal. Um, and, of course, just the general costs of bad health to you, I mean, mm. it can be enormous. I mean, you know, paying £30 out a month is nothing compared mm. to what it could cost you at the end of the day, basically. No. But the other thing I recommend, really, is, is, uh, is Tai Chi and Qigong, which is the other aspect of Chinese medicine, which uh, uh, is the art and science of, of cultivating relaxation, um, which I think... Um, is, is one of the biggest problems really is, is is stress and people's inability to deal with it and um, and not people's just not knowing how to relax and uh, knowing how to relax is like learning how to play a musical instrument we, you know, uh, if you practice it and you observe the principles then then you get better and, and your capacity to relax increases um, but um, the, the art and science of that is the art and science of uh, of Tai Chi and Qigong and, and um, understanding some of those principles and working with them on a regular basis I've personally found very helpful indeed. So it's about balance and physical alignment isn't it? Yeah and work and working with the energy in your body beginning to cultivate your sensitivity to your own energy so that you can work directly with the energy so that you're more identified with the energy in your body rather than just the physical but uh, the, the fundamental principle is, is to move in such a way that your, your body moves as one unit as one single coordinated integrated functional whole so um, uh, then you uh, once that unity uh, has occurred physically in the body um, through moving in that unified way 
then your energy can become um, unified and balanced and mentally then your mind can relate uh, to a body um, that is relaxed and integrated if you imagine the, your, your mind is trying to relate to a body that's tense and scattered and, and can't function as a single unit, then your mind is going to be much more likely to be tense and scattered and, and not functioning as a single unit. So getting physical unity, energetic unity, then facilitates mental unity and, and then uh, ultimately spiritual unity. And if you can be at one with yourself, uh, then you can take the next step and, and, and make a clearer at one connection you know, with somebody else outside of yourself. But if uh, if your mind and body and energy are completely scattered, um, then uh, the chances of relating to anybody else, because you can't relate to yourself, is <laughs> minimal, basically. But there, that's one of the great spiritual principles, isn't it? You can't sort the world out until you've sorted yourself out, basically. Yeah. And because the other spiritual principle that I think some people tend to forget sometimes on the spiritual side is that it is. You, you, I don't think, and I'm, and I'm living proof. Of this, I don't think you can spiritually activate until you've got those physical things sorted out. It's, it serves as a barrier. If your muscles aren't aligned and so on, it just seems to put you out of balance, and therefore you just can't do the kind of meditation to, to access the light and so on. Yeah. And it was only in my case when I managed to free something in my neck that, I, that after that it seemed to become positive, po possible to go through a spiritual conversion. Until that point, I literally couldn't meditate. I just could not still my mind yeah. enough to be able to do that. Whereas now I'm, I find it relatively easy to do, particularly obviously when I'm outside of, of London and so on. <laughs> Um, because obviously London is well, London is the great spiritual test, but in some ways it's too much of a spiritual test because uh, you've got to work hard just to stand still, basically. Yeah, no, I think working physically, energetically, emotionally, and mentally, you have to work on yourself on all levels and get the, get these things sorted out. And then once uh, once critical mass uh, arises, then then the Kundalini rises and and the transformation can occur. But um, you, you can't do that without appropriate. What's the, so what's the Kundalini? The Kundalini, well, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, in different cultures it's called different things. The, the Chinese call it the spirit of vitality. Uh, basically, it's the uh, chi that rises um, up from the spine, from the lower chakras all the way up, 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 to, the, up to the head and a activates the, the chakras along the way. And uh, this is one of the fundamental aims of spiritual practice is, is, to, is to still the mind uh, and uh, achieve physical and energetic unity to the point that the kundalini starts to rise up the spine and starts uh, starts to awaken all these chakras and then that starts to open the the gates to uh, various mental functions i think i mean as science seems to agree that uh, we use maybe five or seven percent of our brain's uh, mental capacity and and uh, by and large we're very very shut down creatures uh, but if you can start to get the kundalini rising up your spine and into your head the brain starts to function in a much more um yeah expansive way and and the powers of uh, intuition and uh, spiritual awakening uh, you know s start to cultivate hmm. what you talking about the other day if we're playing table tennis and you're talking about the idea that that, that table tennis seems to work particularly well with the kind of sort of principles of qigong or whatever yes why was that? <laughs> <laughs> well, in table tennis, you're, you're uh, doing all sorts of spins on the ball, really. And uh, if you can get the whole body involved in the spin, then uh, then you can get the, the chi rising up from the ground, up your spine, through your arms, and then uh, in, into the spin of the ball. So um, it's actually... Um, Using the soles of the feet as 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 uh, and 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 the and the middle of the bat and and connecting the the lines all the way up through the body um, and then you can, you're cultivating the spins 
that way. So, so this would account for why the Chinese have been massively better than anyone else <laughs> at table tennis, I presume. Yeah, probably. Yeah, no, having the, the internal connection is vital, really, so that the hand and the foot are, are, are one, basically, and all the bits in the middle joined up. And so, I mean, on on the whole, do you think that perhaps our, some of our um, our football teams could benefit from some of this? No, I really think they could. No, uh, if yeah, if, uh, them they obviously got very physically strong, but uh, yeah, whole body energy. Uh, there's a uh, massive transformation of consciousness when that point is reached. Um, so I think this is the thing, though. I'm, obviously, we're both great football fans, and and it seems sometimes that there are certain footballers who have that almost kind of spiritual understanding with each other. I mean, the classic yeah. example I think was Keegan and Toshak, who yeah. were just they were two very good footballers, but were yeah. just fantastic when they played together because they understood yeah. each other all the time. Yeah. So it could be a way forward for the borough. <laughs> well, definitely, yeah. No, I, 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 think we, I know we've got a motivational bloody coach, whatever they have these days. I don't know quite what these people do, but I just wonder if perhaps we should be exploring some of these more uh, ancient principles to play better football. No, I, th I think so, because it would, it would and facilitate people uh, getting into the zone a lot more, uh, which is w uh, what it's all about, really. Um, Practising Tai Chi, you can... Uh, what you're trying to do is, is get yourself in that in, into that still point where um, mind and body and energy have got unity and, and stillness. And uh, when you've cultivated that in your body, practicing Tai Chi, it, it's with you all the time. You, you take it for a walk. You, you, you're there when you're washing up. Um, you know that capacity that you've cultivated is, is with you all the time. And and uh, you know it's. Um, it stands you in good stead in whatever your circumstances. And what could people do just to sort of start going down that road? I mean, do you have to be taught Tai Chi and Qigong and things like that, or can you just sort of certain exercises you can do to start off with that? Well, one of the, one of the best exercises um, is, is just simply standing on your on one leg with your eyes closed. It, uh, it doesn't really matter what you do with your arms or what you do with your with the leg that's not on the ground. The, the only principle is to stand on one leg with your eyes closed. And that and sounds very simple, but it's not. It's <laughs> not at all. No, and no, no matter how many books you read, it's not going to teach you how to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so all you've got to rely on is your uh, connection with the physical reality of your own body um, in order to achieve your balance. So you're no longer reliant on any external stimuli. You're only reliant on your connection with yourself. And for most of us, that's pretty thin, surprisingly. Uh, despite living in your body all your life, you stand on one leg with your eyes closed and suddenly find you've absolutely got no relation with this body whatsoever. <laughs> um, but wobbling around, you know, is fine. Um, and um, But it's actually one of the coaches as well. It's one of the great tests of actual health is um, for, for old people, isn't it? To, for the, the test of their health is to be able to stand there on one leg. Not their eyes closed, just stand on one leg. And it's yeah. actually a test for anybody, even without your eyes closed. Because <laughs> people think I'm standing on one leg is relatively easy, but it's not that easy when you do it for any length no. of time. No. And I think if your muscles aren't aligned properly, it's it's it's, yeah, it's virtually impossible to do it for, for yeah. more than half a minute, really. Yeah, no, it's just surprisingly tricky. But if you if you let yourself do it for ten minutes in the morning, ten minutes in the evening, just keep swapping legs. Don't worry if you wobble. Don't worry if you fall over. Just let yourself practice. Let yourself practice. And and the the, the practice is is to accept imbalance rather than strive for balance. So while you're while you're standing there wobbling and falling over. Uh, the attitude is to is to open and accept and become intimate with the patterns of imbalance, rather than judge yourself for being imbalanced and and uh, set up some sort of mental ideology where you where you're striving for some concept that is, is is outside of your experience. You don't want to be doing that. You actually want to be deepening your experience with 
with yourself as is, as, as you are, in balance and all. And, and the more you can uh, open and soften to the patterns of imbalance, the more you find yourself being in balance, but not through striving, but through acceptance, basically. And then uh, as you open and soften and let go, the, all the patterns of holding in your chest and, and all, the, all the other patterns of holding start to soften and melt away and your energy drops back down to the ground. So it's like it's, it's surrendering, which is the first step on the spiritual path, just allowing gravity to have its uh, full and unconditional effect on your body and, and all the energy that you're holding up in your body as you're uptight. And uh, once you uh, can soften to that, the energy drops back down through the body, through the legs, through the feet, into the ground, and you start to develop what's called a, a root, your energetic uh, relationship with the earth. And then that channel that you've made down through your body into the ground it is an open channel, and that will allow energy to rise back up into the body from the ground. So you start to get a reciprocal relationship between energy dropping down through opening and softening and relaxing and letting go, and energy rising up, and that, that starts to be the foundation of the, of the spirit of vitality and the kundalini. That, that. So the more you're opening and softening and relaxing, the more energy rises up. So that, that, and that correlates with, uh, back to what we were talking about before, about the uh, five elements. The, f the first element is water, which is about dropping into the unconscious. And So when you're standing on one leg with your eyes closed, it's about letting go into the earth. And then the next energy is the liver, which is spring and wood, and yang energy rising, so that's the second stage. You have yang energy rising, and uh, and then the third stage is is the integration of yin and yang. Yin energy dropping down, yang energy rising up, and then the the interplay and interaction between those two uh, takes place in the heart, and that's uh, represented also by male and female relationship. The interplay between yin and yang. Um, and then the, the, the fourth element is, 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 is harvest, which is the elixir of life, which is spleen, which is uh, what, what you reap from the rewards of the integration of yin and yang in the cauldron of the, of the heart in, in that transformative process. And then the, the, the final stage is, uh, is to move up from the fertile valley of abundance, um, you know, uh, bathing in the elixir that you've cultivated through your transformation. Uh, and uh, we move up to the mountains and uh, get the greater perspective and and um, and, and 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 finally die basically um so um <laughs> the, the the standing on one leg with your eyes closed starts that spiritual process by allowing you to relax but there's an important difference between relax and collapse so <laughs> you know most of us um think we're relaxing when we're flat out on the couch watching the football uh which is sort of relaxing um, uh, but um, th you've got to discriminate between relaxing and collapsing. So obviously, when you're standing on one leg with your eyes closed, you're not collapsing; you're ho holding yourself open. So the principles are soft and open. And uh, when you can soften enough to let go and relax and drop the chi down, but remain open enough in order to hold your posture erect and and appropriate, it's under those circumstances that the chi can start to move within the body, and you can start to cultivate the the kundalini. Right, well, Brent, well, thank you very much for this, Steve. It's okay. absolutely fascinating. It really is. It's great <laughs> if you have someone on the program who's actually qualified to do something for a change. <laughs> uh, but also, it just proves as well that we don't actually... I mean, my argument about modern capitalism, one of the ways we defeat it is effectively by turning our backs on it and not integrating with it. 
And one of these people always come up with, what about, you know, if you don't live in, a, in an eco-village and you're not part of the NHS, how are you going to look after yourself? And you actually realise half these health problems won't, won't occur in the first place if you're looking after yourself. And let's face it, I mean, human beings have lived for millennia without modern medical science, and, we've, you know, we've got this far. And obviously people are living slightly longer now, but I'm not entirely convinced that's to do with, with, with uh, doctors. I'm sure that's more to do with... Um, better sanitation really and, mm. uh, and and that's particularly important obviously in the first uh, weeks and years of life uh, when people talk about the you know the life expectancy at the turn of the 20th century being 54 that didn't mean that the average age people died was 54 it meant that a lot of people died before the age of five therefore the the, the thing was yeah. brought down if you survived those years you had a very good chance of living a long and healthy life so i think better sanitation has done more for the world in many ways than than western medicine has yeah um, but hey well thank you very much it's fantastic oh, cheers you're welcome thank you